Well, good morning, and Lord willing, we'll get through the rest of Romans 1. We started Romans 1 a little over a year ago, and, and uh, in all fairness, we stopped along the way and, and uh, went through the summer and talked about what really does please God, because we've been talking about all these things that displeases God, and, and we've been talking about God uh, is against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness. As we go through that in, in verse 18, un, uh, ungodliness and unrighteousness is very simple. Ungodliness is what our attitude and what we think on the inside. Unrighteousness is what we produce on the outside as a result of bad attitude and bad thinking. Um, you've heard that often. If you're a, a kid, you'll know you've heard that probably multiple times from mom. Uh, when we hear you have a bad attitude, right? Um, and word of warning, kids uh, that are left in, the, in here, uh, do not tell mom that she has a bad attitude. It does not go well. Uh, <laughs> and in, in the, this morning, we're going to find that civilization looks at God and basically says, I don't like your attitude towards sin. And so we're going to see the result of that this morning. And that's really what we've been talking about is the result of man's rebellion. Everything that we've been talking about, whether it's immorality and how we use our body, uh, just in general immorality, uh, because we worship ourselves, And so we use our body incorrectly. And that led to homosexuality and, and having a wrong view of sexuality which led to what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, and it's funny, as, as I began to look at this, I questioned, I was like, man, isn't it the really, because I've always been taught that the mind really controls our action. We, we, hitch, uh, we hitch ourselves to how we think, and how we think then determines how we act. But this is the last, this is the last of the line. This is the caboose. This is actually God turns it loose and in our circle, in our sphere of history in America, we can see this playing and unfolding in and before our very eyes. We can see what's going on. And so this morning, it's important to understand that the sin that we're talking about is a result of rebellion. It's, and that's, it's really important to understand. It's, it, we can focus on the sin itself, but it's the fact of very simply rejecting God. And we don't understand the implications of that. And Paul is trying to help us to understand the total depravity of sin. The, what sin truly does to not only to the way we act, but the way we think. And it really, really chains us. It makes us a slave. And we're going to get to see that as we run through this very quickly. So just a word of warning, I am not going to focus on every little aspect of all the sins listed here. Um, and so I'll leave that to yourself. There's some really good Greek helps on the internet that you can redefine. You can, you can go look at the etymology of these words and how they were used. And it's really telling, uh, but we will not have time to break out every one of the... I can make a message on every one of the words. And we're not going to do that this morning. Let's pray and then look at our text in Romans chapter 1. Lord, pray that you would 
impact our hearts and our minds and help us to, to, Lord, not to look lightly on sin, not to look lightly on what's going on. And maybe we've, as believers and maybe just as good people, uh, maybe somebody here doesn't know what it means to have a relationship with you, but they view that they think they're good. And, and Lord, we look at the news, we look at the world, we look at our surroundings and we're like, how could it get this far? We see a lot of things that are evil that are paraded around as good. How did that happen? Why are we where we're at in America? Why is the world the way it is? Lord, may these verses help us to understand. Help us, Lord, to understand what's going on around and then to see the answer to all of this. Lord, bring your word to our attention. Help it, us to be encouraged and to rightly divide your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, basically, if you go to verse 18, I'm not going to read all of it, but you'll see that, that God's wrath is being poured out on all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And he says, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So there, in context, there's this, this group. They, he says they and them, and we know that we hear all these pronoun things going on today. And who is he talking about? And he's, he's talking about the culture around him. He's not talking about the church, folks. He's talking about the culture that's going on around them in Rome. We know that Rome was highly toxic in their sin. They were given over to their sin, and uh, they sinned in their bodies, sinned in their thinking. Uh, if anybody was going to see total depravity in a society, it would be Rome at this time. We are quickly spiraling in to that very, uh, in that very example, we're almost emulating what Rome was during this time. And then shortly later, we know that Rome disappears. They fall. And it says, you know, he, you know it says that they've rejected his attributes, that God clearly made himself known, and they rejected it. And it says in verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor God or give thanks, but they became futile in their thinking. And that's exactly what we're going to see in this outcome. In fact, they, in verse 22, they claimed to be wise. They said, look, we're coming up with all these new ideas and, and look at our wisdom. And, and they're promoting themselves, but yet they became foolish. And they began to worship the creation. And they, they put more emphasis on the creation. They put more emphasis on themselves. And they began to reject God. And they lusted after impure things. It kind of picks up in verse 24. And we'll read from there through the end of the chapter. And it says, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. For this reason, God, again, second time, gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up the natural relations with women and they consumed with passions for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves 
the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God, again, third time, gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full, full, overflowing with envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are, that means they practice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decrees that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them knowing that they deserve to die, but give approval to those who practice them. This is quite a downward spiral. Spiral one uh, theologian, a former um, uh, preaching uh, professor of mine, said it was like trying to swim with a bowling ball. Um, and, and if you could make it long enough with the bowling ball, it's like adding another bowling ball in each hand. And eventually you drowned in, in the weight of all that is happening. You cannot stay afloat. It's like one thing after another brings you down. We saw that God basically turned them loose uh, to all the depravity, the moral desires that are out of control. He gave them over and let them pursue all manner of passion or desire. And they said, well, you know, desire and passions are not bad, but they turned loose and they became out of control in their ability to do what is even right uh, the result, number two, is they dishonor God's design for sexuality by turning to homosexuality. All matters of distortions. They decided that they were not going to follow God's pattern, but they were going to do whatever they felt right. So one, one thing led to another. And we talked a lot about that. Uh, which leads to this morning. Which, it's interesting, in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, which we didn't read, but it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, which in our text we see that they don't fear the Lord. They turn from the Lord. They rejected the Lord. They turned their back on the Lord. And it says in the end of verse 7 in Proverbs 1, it says, fools despise wisdom and instruction. Which is interesting in our text this morning, we find really warning signs and the impending doom on a society that turns their back on God. As we examine this passage a little bit and quickly this morning, I want you to think of a couple of questions. Can anyone survive without God? Morally, in good standing, relationally, as a culture, in our nation, can any society function without the moral restraints of God's law. If, any, if a society turns their back on God, will it survive? We see the result number three, that God gave them over to a debased mind. That means literally that the result of rebelling against God is an inability to think rationally or logically. That's what a debased mind means. They can't think. They have no ability to think rationally. 
I hear it all the time, especially when we have coffee with the, with the guys on Friday morning and say, yeah, where's common sense? It is completely gone. Common sense is thrown in the wind and anything that just seems right, they make it right. They try to make it right. There is no logic anymore. As, we, as over and over in the text, it says they or them, and it's referring to society as a whole. They can refer to the entire human race after the fall. Or it can just simply refer to just the civilization that has turned their backs on God, which Rome had done. The sobering truth that we are looking at here in our text is, and it helps us to understand, as we look at this sobering truth, to understand the world that we see and the large picture that we see in front of us that we're living in today. One of the first things that we see is this result is sin begins when we deliberately shut God out of our lives. It says they did not see fit to acknowledge God. That word see fit is interesting. It means to approve by testing. It was a term that was used to test metals, especially like gold. They would put them gold through a test to see if it was really fit to be used in some spectacular way. It was to see if they could use it in the way that they wanted. So some gold was used because of its purity uh, and it shined so well that it would be used for crowns. It would be used for, uh, you know, parading through people. Some gold wasn't as pure and it would be used for plating on stuff. It wasn't as, as uh, you know, useful. And so they would determine its purity and they would use it for however they wanted to use it. That's the idea behind see fit. So what Paul is talking about is sinners that that have turned their back. They know God, but they've turned their back on God. And so what they've done is the sinners has tested God and said, God isn't useful for what I want in my life. They said, you know, this is really what I want. And, And so they've looked at it and they said, well, no, if... If we see what God is saying, and and if I follow God, then I'm not going to get what I want. So I'm going to focus on myself and my emotions and my feelings. This is the, really, it results in the very first step of sin. Rather than submitting to God by obedience to his word, to his commands, to who he is, and persevering through trials, we turn our backs to God and do what we want. That's what this society is doing that Paul is describing. The second thing is this, is that sin becomes in, just basically ingrained when God gives them over to a depraved mind. Basically, this is what Paul is saying, is sin and this depraved mind is its own punishment. Sin is its own punishment, and we'll see this again in verses 29 through 31. Finally, God gave them over to a debased or depraved mind. This means that they're, like what we said earlier, the result of the sin is that they're no longer capable of reasonable thought. It means that they have no logic or they simply cannot determine truth anymore. They don't see truth. What's so amazing is when I was able to break it out in the Greek, this is an amazing play on words here. And basically the idea is just as sinners tested God and rejected him, 
So God gave them over to minds that were tested and found false. He's saying that, that he gave them over to a mind that was literally tested and found in error. It means that their minds became quite unable to make trustworthy and moral judgments. That's what we see in Proverbs that, that Jonathan read to us in verse 22. It says, how long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? And he's not saying simple as being kind. He's saying it in the reality that they're being purposely dumb. They're turning their backs on what is true. And he says, how long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? It's literally saying that they're still simple because they've turned their back on what is true and they hate the knowledge of truth. In fact, verse 24, again, you refuse to listen. Verse 25, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I've given you correction so that way you can turn to what is true and experience the truth, but you can't do that because you refuse to listen. It's like what Jesus says in Mark chapter 7. In the fact that all sin really is relegated to the mind and the heart. In verse 21 through 23, he says, For from within... Because he's talking about, you know, the Pharisees got mad and they were, well, they challenged Jesus and his disciples because they went to eat and the disciples didn't wash their hands. And they're like, you're breaking the law, you know, and a tradition that they had set. And it's a pretty good tradition, right, mom? You come in from outside, especially at our house where we live on a muddy farm and with lots of animals and lots of animal waste. And so it's good when you come in, first thing you do is go right and as soon as you go into our house, the very first thing you see is our bathroom. And you go in there and you wash your hands and then you can go eat, right? That's a great tradition. Well, they're challenging him in. And he says, they're unclean, they're unclean. And the, the Pharisees were saying, basically the disciples were not clean people. But then Jesus said this in a parable in verse 21. He says, for from within... Out of the heart of men proceeds evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of covetousness, wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, evil, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within that defiles a man. It's not the things that come from without. It's the things that come from within the heart. Many of these sins that Jesus listed overlap exactly in our text this morning. In fact, this in our text this morning is the longest list of sin that Paul ever writes. It's not a, a list of these are all the sins. This is the over uh, this is the large sphere of how it impacts our life and our mind. But the point is this sin warps our thinking. It deforms our ability to know truth so that we'll not see God's perspective. We don't understand God's perspective. We don't want to know God's perspective when we turn our backs on God. And that's the world. We wonder, we look at the world around us and we say, why in the world don't they just see what they're doing? It's so evil. It's so despicable. And it hurts our hearts sometimes to see what's going on. But they can't 
Because God has turned them loose to be a slave to the lack of knowledge. They are no longer capable of reasonable thought. So begins, so this so the sin begins in the next verse, in verse 29. When we deliberately shut God out of our lives, it becomes ingrained when God gives us up to depraved and spiritually unfit minds. And that leads to number three, and that is sin then expresses itself in ways that damage relationships. We recognize really fast that it damages, first of all, the wrath of God, right? Is against all of this. Anybody that turns their back on God, he's against that. We sometimes undersell what the wrath of God means. Paul is, is, is purposely magnifying this so we understand the, the depths of sin, so we understand what it took to save us from sin, what it takes to save society. So there's a list of 21 different sins in this text. I gave you, by the way, under point three, I gave you all the other places that Paul mentions a list of sin. He isn't saying that every sinner is guilty of every one of these sins, but rather that human race or society or culture is guilty of sin in thought, word, and deed. It's like what is said in Proverbs 1 that was read earlier. It says, and when they call upon me, I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they won't find me. Because they hated knowledge, they did not choose the fear of the Lord. So you see, that's their choice. They've rejected God, and they would not have any of my counsel and despised all my proof. Verse 31, therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. Sinners are, are out to get their way. When they turn their back on God, it's literally they're focusing on getting what they want right now to serve their passions, to serve their emotions, to serve, to try to remove the guilt in their life that God has placed there. And it says, even if by any means that it destroys their reputation, their lives, their rivals, in fact, it destroys even their own family, their life. This means that a follower of Christ must be basically not filled with, did you notice in verse 29 of Romans 1, it says uh, right there, they are full of. You know, it's amazing that, that being full of and filled with is the exact same word that Paul uses in Ephesians uh, chapter 5, verse 18, when it says, be filled with the, the Spirit, but don't be f- controlled by anything else. And it's interesting because this means that we know that the believer must be Be controlled by the Holy Spirit to do the very work of God. But Paul now uses this exact same word, and it means more the idea that this godless society is in the strong grips of of unrighteousness, and they cannot escape it. They're under direct control of this debased mind. They're under the dominating control, just like God wants us to be under the control of the Holy Spirit now because they've rejected God. They are under the control of these mindless, sinless, or sinful things. And he brings the first section there. It's dealing with sinfulness. They are full of it. 
unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil. All these sins are like a chain that Paul is connecting one after another. That's pulling them away from the truth. They're each connected to one another, pulling forward by one previous sin to the next. You notice each one of these are grouped into groups. In verse 29, it literally says that they, are, they were filled with all manner of these things. And then they said they are full of these things. And then it says they are these things. So there's sinfulness and then there's the sinful pursuits. These are the pursuits that they're full of, meaning that this sin is overflowing in their life, like pouring a water into a cup until it overflows. They can't get enough of sin. They're, it's interesting that it says that they're envy, which means that, and remember, these are all linked. Paul links them all together, one after another. It's interesting. I wish I could show you in the Greek. I should put it up there, but they're all linked together and then linked together, and then linked together. Like, it's a domino effect. It's interesting. It says here that they are envious, which means that they're jealous, wishing ill will to serve themselves. This all connected to fill up their own passions. And look at the very next evil that's there, murder. It's not like what we think, that murder just killing somebody. The word literally represents somebody who, it's killing somebody in order to steal or get something from someone. The idea what Paul is using, the word he's using here for murder, is that they want something in their life, and so they're willing to kill for it, to maintain their lifestyle. We see that today with abortion. With, there's a lot of things, people willing to commit murder so that way they can have their lifestyle. It's not health care, it's lifestyle. That's exactly what he's talking about here in murder. It's followed with strife and deceit and malice. These are all sinful pursuits. These are what they pursue because God just said, okay, I'm taking my hands off and you're going to get the you're going to be able to live out the full passions of sin. And we see now sinful practices. That is literally, they are gossips. That means, by the way, whispering about something to gain favor for yourself. They're slanderers. They, they tear people down. They're haters of God. They hate God so much. Which is amazing is as you hear all you hear the word thrown around about people accepting one another, right? Until you mention God, and then it's not accepted anymore. They're insolent. They lift up pride. They're arrogant. They raise yourself up above others. Right? This last one here, this is, or not the last one, but the next one, they're inventors of evil. They, they create things that even, like Rome didn't even think about. They've created more evil things. We look at today that there's such evil thoughts being created that hasn't been in society. They push the boundaries even further in sin. Again, their disobedience, right, to parents. There's no regard for authority. Right? If they don't want to be under and submit to God, guess what? They don't want to be under any authority. 
So the first authority that they, they come out from underneath is parents. And then if they're not under authority in parents, then they don't want to be under authority with work, and they don't want to be under authority with government. They don't want to be under anybody's authority. So everyone does what is right in their own eyes. And it leads to destruction. Proverbs 12, Proverbs 14. Which leads to the next one is perversion. It's not seen in, it might, in some of your translations, it might be italicized in the start of verse 31. Uh, but there's, a, there's a, a, a prefix attached to each of these words in the Greek that's not on any of the other words. And it's, uh, it's basically the English word for un. It means it destroys everything that he's talking about. There's no, um, they're foolish, meaning that they're, they're, they have no understanding. They're without intelligence. They're unintelligent. They're faithless, right? They're untrustworthy. Un is attached to every Greek one of these words. They are, they're covenant breakers. They say one thing and then do another. We see it all the time in politics, don't we? <laughs> they say one thing and do another, but then they change the definition in order to prove that they're okay, right? It's just crazy the depths of the foolishness, the faithlessness, or the heartless, right? Unloving, or ruthless, unmerciful. The idea here is there's no compassion. Can you see what's going on? Any civilization that rejects God will not long survive. They'll self-implode. It happened to Rome. Right? It's happening even now. You think about it, all of these things that we've named, right? Whether it's uh, immorality, that God gave them over to immorality. God gave them over and, and they, they changed sexuality. And then God gave them over and, their, and everything is gone. Truth is gone. When we look back in the 20s through the 60s, immorality became, it imploded. I mean, it exploded, not imploded. It exploded. After the 60s, what happened? Sexual immorality and homosexuality became rampant. It became normal. It got normalized. And now all truth is gone. We see it happening before our very eyes. And if you look in history, you'll see the circle of it going on and on. Vodi Bakum, who is a professor at a seminary in, in Zimbabwe, and he's talking to all of his, his the national pastors there, and he's uh, teaching them to preach the gospel and use God's word and to reach the you know, in Zimbabwe, Uganda, and all around South Africa, a lot of his students. And, you know, a lot of his students said, you know, you know America's great, and Europe is great, and, and what's, what's wrong with Africa? And he said, just go back a couple of hundred years, and they were eating themselves. You go look at Europe, and he said, what happened? What changed? He said, look how, go back in, in Europe's history, and look how evil they were. You go back and look at Rome. Look how evil they were. What happened? What changed? And he said, did you see the spread of the gospel? Look what happened when the gospel spread. When God became the focus of that society. 
things changed. And then he said, now look what's happening as God has been taken out of that society. And he said, look, and look, and look. And it's exactly what we see here. But what's amazing is we haven't completely hit rock bottom because when sin reaches its depths, when sinners, it reaches its depth when sinners approve of others who practice the same sin. It's literally Paul is saying they parade it through town. Have we seen that? Parading of sin? They're happy to see other people sinning. They're like, oh, makes me feel better. They like it too. Right? At this, this is the lowest point a society gets when it totally is perverted. I just want to basically, as we conclude, I want to ask this question. One of my professors used to say this after you explain what the text is saying. He used to say, so what? So what? How do we deal with the knowledge of this and what we see unfolding around us? There's a danger for us to look at this and say, well, hey, I I love God. I, I love God and I like God. And to say, well, you know, I'm not doing these things. But do you see the depths of the depravity that to where their mind is turned loose and they can't even, they don't even understand what truth is anymore. They've turned their back on God and God has let them go. These verses should cause us to think about sin in a different way and to think about What is it really like when we ignore God's reproof? What is it really like when we ignore what God says? How many times have we we looked at, we know God says don't do this, don't respond in your relationships with people this way, and yet we still do it because of a feeling or emotion, or we're worried about what might happen. Oh, if I respond this way, then they're not going to like me, or they might, you know, this or that. And we, we objectify and we actually start creating a lie rather than focusing on the truth. This is what sin does to our mind. And we become chained to it. We should examine and whether we're truly living for God's glory or are we living for ourselves? If we had to stop here and, and just, we'd realize, but do you realize the context of this? The, what do we do? Do we go out and do we, do we, you know, do we take over society? Is that our goal? Is that our, do we, we become a, an army and, and we take over all, you know, I'm not saying we should do our best and to uh, be a part of our society, to do what's right in God's eyes. But is that what we do? Is that our goal is, is to just take over our society? Is that the answer? And so what? What is the answer? Well, he gave us the answer in verse 16. For I'm not ashamed. When, 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 we destroy, in 2 Corinthians 10.5, 
Paul said, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power. Taking over society, I mean, being an army and taking over society is not going to do anything. The gospel is the power that changes everything. I like that when it says we destroy arguments, lofty opinions, raised against the knowledge of God. And that's what we see happening today. We don't have to be ashamed because of what the world says about God. or, or they, We can stand in the gospel with strength and tear down every argument because of the gospel. The only solution is the gospel. The gospel changes hearts. The heart changes the mind. The mind changes the outward actions. What are you hitched to this morning? What, as you look at the debased mind and the thinking in our society, are you worried? Are you fearful? Do you have anxiety? I mean, truthful, if we look at how bad things are getting, these are all possibilities. Are you desperately just trying to ignore it and hope that it goes away, it gets better? You know, the ostrich in the sand, you know what I'm talking about? You know, just bury yourself and... May I challenge you to cling to the gospel. You know what's interesting as Paul starts this? I can't help but think that as as bad as the world gets around us, sometimes we get distracted by it. Satan knows what he's doing. He's a schemer, he's a plotter, he's a planner. He wants you to be distracted. And when we focus on how bad the circumstances are around us, guess what are the first things we ditch? We try to bring society up. We try to help people socially. We try to do all these things. We we get busy. We, 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 We run ourselves ragged trying to do good. And there's nothing wrong with doing good. But you know the thing that's left out? God. The gospel. Was, I loved when I mean, we were, Donald and I were having some really big discussions and when all this stuff started three years ago, and he just simply said these, this word. He said, not my mission. He's like, how do you deal with all the riots. How do you deal with all of this? How do you deal with all of this? And he goes, simply this, not my mission. Donald isn't always right, but he was right here. <laughs> he says, my mission is the gospel, to live the gospel, to share the gospel, to love God. That's my mission. The gospel is the only thing that has the power to release God's righteousness. Do you want to try to be righteous? I guarantee it's not going to work. Your righteousness will not cut it. Trying to be right in our society will just bring heartache, frustration, fear, anxiety, problems. The gospel is the power. Romans 1, 18 through The end of the chapter shows us that God's wrath against our sin is justified. 
We deserve this judgment. But the good news is that we have a cross. That Christ did a work that we could never do. He became right. He is the right. And he took our sin. And he, he paid for us. And he gave us his righteousness. Where are you living your life? Is it based on your righteousness or his righteousness? That's living the gospel. Live according to the gospel that has been given to you. And stop worrying about our society and just be the gospel, live the gospel, share the gospel, and let the power to change lives change lives. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this timely message as we begin to even delve further into chapter 2 and to look at sin and your righteousness, how, it, 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 how sin affects your righteousness and your righteousness affects our sin, how it affects in, in, uh, our culture's sin, their total de- dependence on their selves and their lack of trusting you. Lord, I pray right now if there's someone here that's been living their life based on just trying to be good, that they'd realize they can't. They're living a lie. They're serving themselves. They're trying to to take away a guilt that they can never take away. Lord, you told us there is none righteous. No, not one. There is no one who actually lives out rightly. Because any of these sins will tear down our righteousness and we become tainted for the rest of eternity. And if someone here has been living based on trying to be good before you, and that Lord, that they would shed that and they would turn to Jesus and say, and realize that Jesus paid their debt. That it's all about his righteous act on the cross and Because of that, he rose again on the third day, conquering death once and for all and paying for our sin. You told us the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lord, I pray that if someone here realizes that, that they would turn to you and that they would submit, that they'd repent of all of this thinking that we've described described in verse 18 through 32. And they'd stop trying to live a life based on their way and realize that what you told us, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by you, by the work, your work. You've told us that it's not by works lest any man should boast. It's by grace. You gave us a gift that we don't deserve by paying for our sins. I pray that's when we turn to you and submit to you and, and repent and believe, not just know, but believe in you. Lord, I pray that you would do that work in anyone's heart here that doesn't know you, anyone that's listening that doesn't know you, that, Lord, the Holy Spirit would reveal to them that they need to give their life to you. And do that this morning and pray to you in repentance and ask you to save them. Lord, I thank you for the gift of our salvation. May we live it daily. 
May we live our lives based on that gift and share it with those that we come into contact in our community, in our society, in our culture. And may we take back all of those lofty arguments simply by just obeying you and trusting you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.